thrust of our of our services is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in singing and giving and prayer and in the preaching of the word. That's that's the long and the short of it. And as long as we do that, we believe we are in the will of God. And uh, anything else uh, that we do is outside of this worship service. So we're glad that you've come. And I'll invite you this morning to turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John 3, I'll begin, I'll begin reading this morning at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved or literally would be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be, should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come to you this morning asking that you would fill us with your spirit. Allow us to expose the meaning of your word, that we might understand what you have said to us in this passage. And Lord, we pray that Christ our Lord would be glorified as a result of it. We also pray, Lord, that those who may not know you would find life in you because that's the only place that eternal life exists. And so we pray that you would do your work in hearts, through your spirit, by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been in this passage for quite some time. Uh, we're looking this morning at verses 18 through 21. And we've actually, what we see in this passage is God's gracious act of sovereignly saving sinners. That's, that is the thrust of the passage. Jesus' words in this passage are those that pertain to His atonement. Jesus came to atone for sinners. He said in Luke 19.10 that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was all of us at one time. We were all in that category. Lost, with, without hope, in our sins. And Christ came and sought us out. Jesus said in, in John 12, 20, uh, verse 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And so Jesus came to actually save. It was God's intention to actually save people, not just make it possible for them to be saved, but to actually save them. There is a difference. If we say that Jesus came to make it possible for people to be saved, then some people are not going to be saved and we would, we would reckon then that Jesus failed in his mission. He cannot fail. John 6 says that all that the Father gives him will come to him and none of them will be lost. None of them. He will 
succeed in saving all that the Father gave him. We see it so often. John 6, John 10, John 17, over and over again. This was God's intention. And so Jesus, Jesus' atonement, Jesus came either, as Owen put it, to save some of the sins of all men, or all of the sins of all men, or all of the sins of some men. It has to be one of those three. We believe that the latter is actually true. That Jesus came to save or to die for all of the sins of some men. Jesus would not have shed his precious blood to partially or possibly save sinners. But he, would, he came to actually save them and to save all that come to him in faith believing. Notice verse 18. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So why are people not saved? He tells us that it is because they do not believe in the only the name of the only Son of God. And though God has offered salvation to the world at large through the offering of His Son, it cannot be appropriated except through repentant faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. So all who reject and continue in unbelief will be judged and their doom is final. These are not these are not easy words. That is a difficult message. Jesus told the Pharisees at one point, you will die in your sins because you have not believed my words. Can you imagine? Serious this is. And what we're really talking about here is crime and punishment. The crime is an infinite disobedience to the God of the universe. Any sin is is an infinite crime against God and therefore must be punished with an infinite punishment. Jesus related these sobering words and these fearful truths to Nicodemus on the night that he came to see him. In his revelation to Nicodemus, Jesus divides all of humanity into two groups. Those who believe and those who do not believe. Those two groups are still present on earth today. It is as black and white as that. There are no shades of gray in this story. You're either born again and you're a child of God with your sins forgiven, or you are dead in your sins, a child of Satan, and judged. The substance of his words are both positive and negative. I'm going to deal with the positive first. Because in verse 17, he said that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The positive component here is that those who do not believe, or that do believe, excuse me, those that do believe are promised that they will not be judged or condemned ever. Think about it for a second. 
There will never be a time when you will hear from the, from the lips of the Savior that He condemns you. If you know Him in faith, believing He is your Lord, your Savior, your life, He will never condemn you. You will never be judged by Him for your sins. He took that judgment upon Himself. doesn't exist for us as believers. The word judged or condemned is a present passive verb. Present tense means that it's ongoing, continuous. So there is a continuous, a continuous sense of never being judged by God. Passive. So God is not going to judge us for our sin. Because He has already judged our sin in Christ. <clears throat> this promise of acquittal is restated throughout the New Testament in many places. Just a few of them. John 5, verse 24, Truly, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. Doesn't come into judgment. But he's passed from death into life. So what is the judgment in that passage? The judgment is death. And it's not just physical death, it's eternal death. So he's saying that those who believe his word have eternal life. And then he reiterates that eternal life by saying you'll never come into eternal death. It's not going to happen. That's the judgment. Eternal death. Which would be hell or what we... Literally know it as is the lake of fire. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now, present time, no condemnation, no judgment for those that are in Christ Jesus. No judgment for sin. Oh, there will be a judgment for service, but no judgment for sin. That same chapter, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God who justifies, will God who justifies us bring a charge against us? No. Who is to condemn? Would Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who rose again, and is at the right hand of God interceding for us? If he's interceding for us, why would he judge us? Why would he condemn us? Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Counts no iniquity. There is no record book of our sin before God. That was all put under the blood of Christ. So what are these that believe believe in he says that they believe in the name of the only son of God so what is it about the name of Jesus that brings acquittal from the heavenly courtroom from the judge in heaven upon believers well Joseph was told that the child that had been placed in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, should be named Jesus. Why that name? Because the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. That's what it means. Now, the name Yahweh is the name that uh, God used in the Old Testament, from, from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when he said to Moses, I am that I am. It's the word Yahweh. Yahweh is, the name means Yahweh is salvation. And so it's translated from the, the Aramaic name, which is known as, which Jesus is known as Yeshua. 
And so that name, Yeshua, comes from two in two parts. The word Yah in Yahweh means is an abbreviation for Yahweh. The word Yasha, the second part of that word, means to rescue or to deliver. So you have the idea that Yahweh is the one who rescues or saves. God saves. God delivers. The English spelling of Yeshua is the name Joshua. Joshua was the deliverer of God's people to the promised land. Now there is no correlation between the land of Canaan and heaven. Some old songs sort of try to make that correlation that you know you're passing over into Canaan land and so on. That Canaan land was not heaven. And it is not a picture of heaven. But it is a promise of God's deliverance under the leadership of Joshua. And so Joshua, the Old Testament Joshua, delivered God's people into the promised land. So Jesus is the deliverer of God's people and forgives their sins. And so Joshua in the New Testament becomes Jesus from the Greek, which is translated in English, Jesus. God went to great lengths to create a name for His only Son that would reflect the eternal greatness of His redemption that is in His name. The name Jesus is so important and so powerful that not only does it save people from their sins, but it is the name to which all creation in heaven and earth will one day bow. Listen to the words. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Some knees... When that time comes, some knees will willingly bow because they know Him in the forgiveness of their sins and in redemption that is in Christ. These have an abiding relationship with Him as Lord, as their Lord. There are others, however, that will be made to bow even though they would not otherwise do that. And they will be made to confess that He is Lord even though they do not want to say those words and are unwilling to do so. That time is coming. It will be a great day when all of creation is made to recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of eternity. The name Jesus was a common name in the first century, especially in Judea. That's why Jesus is often called in the Gospels, he is often called Jesus of Nazareth to to single him out among others that were called or named Jesus. In fact, the name Jesus is a relatively popular name among Mexican-American and Hispanic people. A lot of people are named Jesus, which is the name Jesus. But I don't know of very many other languages where that name is used, except possibly among Israelis. Maybe you know of some, but I don't. His name is equivalent as we said, to Joshua or Yeshua who who led his people uh, to the promised land and overcame all of their enemies. So Jesus is the New Testament Yeshua still leading his people who's led and is still leading his people 
to victory over sin and their spiritual enemies. The name of Jesus is singularly, singularly powerful in the New Testament for many reasons. I'd just give you, a, I'd just give you, give you a few here. First of all, salvation is in the name of Jesus alone. Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is call on Him in faith and believing to be saved. And that's not a verbal thing. It's a heart issue. You can call on the Lord without speaking words. It's an attitude of the heart. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. So there's salvation only in the name of Jesus. First, second, there is forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Chapter 10 of Acts, verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Third, believers are baptized in the name of Jesus. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. There's he, they, healing and miracles were performed in the name of Jesus. Acts 3 verse 16, Peter said this, and his name, by faith in his name, this man is made strong that you see and know. The man, the paralytic man who laid in the temple. Jesus is the only name that we are to use to bring our prayers to the Heavenly Father. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So in every way possible, in every way that there is that you could possibly think of spiritually, Jesus' name has lived up, he has lived up to his name, even to the point of rising from the dead. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Notice what Peter said, this is again from his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and is buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set up one of his descendants on his throne, He foresaw and spoke about what? The resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, there's the name. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. That being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received power from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that yourselves, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What did they preach on that day? When they left the upper room and they came down to the people, no doubt they were on the rooftop, came down to the people, what did they preach? They preached Jesus. They preached the name of Jesus. Because that's where salvation lies. That's where redemption is. That's where eternal life resides. And this is why his name is exalted above all others, as Paul said. One theology book captures this dual significance between his name and the name of Joshua. Quote, he was from one angle just to another Joshua. And yet, in another sense... He was the true Joshua, the one who would live up to the meaning of his name in ways that no others could. 
And that's exactly what he did. He lived up to the name Emmanuel, God with us. He lived up to the name Jesus, God saves. Jehovah saves. Yahweh saves. The name of Jesus is important too because in His name resides all power and all authority in heaven and earth. That's what He said. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, you want to know if there's life on other planets? I can tell you there's not. So what did God create them for? He created them for His glory. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament. The earth is where life exists. And Jesus has been given power in all of heaven, all authority in heaven, and on earth. That means he has authority over all of the universe and over all the earth and everything that happens on it. That brings us to the second part of this message with the statement in verse 17, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only Son. That's, this is the negative part of Jesus' message which, becomes, which really becomes a warning to everyone who does not believe. People sometimes ask, ask you the question, or they've asked me the question, uh, if, I, if I drink liquor and get drunk, will that send me to hell? If I, if I smoke cigarettes, will that send me to hell? If I, if I party and, and, you know, shack up with somebody, will that send me to hell? Those things are not the things that send people to hell. There certainly sins by biblical definition the thing that sends people to hell is unbelief and that's why they do those things it's because they don't believe and their unbelief fuels everything else that they do people are in hell because they did not believe in the name of the son of god that's why they're there Those who do not believe are judged and condemned in judgment. This means that all who persist in unbelief will be judged or condemned and sent into punishment in hell for eternity. Remember, the infinite crime deserves and receives the infinite punishment. The lake of fire, which is the literal hell, will burn forever. And those that do not believe will be in it forever. The object of their unbelief is the same object of the ones who do believe. The Son of God. If it is the Son of God, and it is, they may, they may mock against him and rail against him, and we know they will. Even as we see in the very last days when God pours out his wrath upon the earth, people will shake their fist at God and blaspheme his name and cry out for the mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from him whose voice comes from heaven. A critic can mock the work of a masterpiece, but it is not the masterpiece that is condemned. It is the critic of the masterpiece that is condemned. Now, there are some words here that explain the indictment that God gives in this judgment. And that is, one of them is the word condemned itself. 
Uh, the, I believe the King James Version has the word judged uh, in, in verse 17. <clears throat> uh, or verse 18, excuse me. No, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, he is condemned already. That word condemned is a perfect passive indicative for you English buffs. The perfect tense sees an action as having taken place in the, in the past, but continuing effects going on into present time and future. So it happened out here, and it's continuing. The force of it is continuing to happen. So what is he saying? If, if this is a present, a present perfect, I've lost my place. There it is. If, it's a, if this is a, a present passive, The passive means that someone outside of us is doing the judging, the condemning. It's it's out here. That's God that's doing the condemning. And it is a statement of fact as an indicative. Now I say all of that just to say that the, the condemnation has been completed by God in those that do not believe It's been completed by God and continues on as a matter of fact. That's why it says they are condemned already. And the only thing that can change that in anybody is God's sovereign work of regeneration. Bringing to life the person who is dead in sin and trespass. Now, to be condemned means to become or to be subject to a pronouncement of guilt and a punitive sentence in legal context. You go down to the courthouse, you sit through a, a trial, and it comes down to the, to the jury, in our case, saying to the judge, we find the defendant guilty. And then the judge passes a sentence. I sat in a jury on a murder trial one time in North Carolina for two weeks. And I remember the solemn, solemn quietness when the judge stood and pronounced the death sentence upon the defendant who had killed some people. I'll never forget it. But I want you to think about that in the context of heaven. There is no jury in heaven. There is no need for one. The jury and the judge are one. And that's God himself. He is the one who pronounces the sentence. He is the one who carries out the sentence. And he holds full right and authority to deliver it and carry it out. For as the Father has life in himself... So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and has given him, listen to it, given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now Jesus said that he came into the world not to judge the world. And we know from the context of this passage that the world in this context are those who believe in him. From verse 16 and 17. He didn't come to judge them. But there comes a time. In which the son of, son of God. Will indeed be the judge. Of the living and the dead. He has given him authority. To execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this Jesus said. For the hour is coming. When all who are in the tombs. Will hear his voice. And come out. And those who have done good. To the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil. To the resurrection of judgment. 
That verse does not teach that you can be saved by good works. Those who do good are the ones who believe. Those who do not are the ones who do not believe. The judgment, understand it clearly. The judgment is currently happening in present time through the con- to the consummation which is yet future. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Current time. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Present tense. Is constantly remaining on him. You say, well, at what point then does the unbeliever turn from being an unbeliever to a believer at the point in which the gospel is preached and the Spirit of God uses that gospel to regenerate their heart and bring life and repentance to them. We don't know when that's going to happen and we don't know to whom it's going to happen. That's why we preach the gospel to everyone. It would have been so nice if God had just placed a an emblem on the forehead of all of his elect. And then we just forget about everybody else and just go to them. But that's not the way it works. There is a general call in which God places the, sends the gospel out to every creature. Every creature. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to all nations, to all creatures. The judgment... Itself, the judgment and self-incurred condemnation in verse 19 is compared to darkness as opposed to light. Notice what he says. This is the judgment. He's explaining what the judgment looks like. He says this is the judgment. The light, that light has come into the world. The light Definite article. Who is that? It's Christ. He is the light. I'm the light of the world, Jesus said. So light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light. What is he saying? He's saying they love their sin more than they love Christ. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, as as Scott read this morning. This was already introduced in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and repeated throughout this gospel, chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, chapter 12, chapter uh, uh, 12, verses 35, 36. Even in 1 John, John speaks much about the light who is Christ. Over and over and over again, we have this. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day and does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. You ever tried, you ever tried to stand perfectly uh, still like at attention in a totally dark room? Try it sometime. You'll end up trying to catch yourself from falling because you have no reference to anything in the room. And we're our brains are wired to be able to control our standing and moving by reference of what we see. And when you're in total darkness, you just end up falling. It's a beautiful illustration of what happens in the lives of people who don't know Christ. They're, they're in darkness and they're constantly falling, constantly falling, and get up again and then they fall again. And that's all they can do. Because they do not have the light. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light. That you may become sons of light. I've come into the world as light so that Whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness 
at all. Now what we see here is an entirely negative verdict. The word judgment is an act of leveling a judgment based on assessing the facts. There will, be not, there will never be a single individual that stands before God's judgment that could open one word of defense for themselves. Their mouths will be shut and God will bring accurate record of all of their life in unbelief. And they won't be able to say anything because it will all be true. The light is Christ who brought the light with him into the world because he is that light. And if the light has come, then we ask the question, if the light is here, then why don't people believe? Why don't they believe? Because they are blind. They're blind and they're deaf and they cannot see nor hear or understand the light. They stumble around in the darkness because of their evil, wicked deeds. You see, this is not a matter of just mere ignorance. This is a matter of willful rejection and disobedience to God. Willful. The truth is that unbelievers hate Christ because He shines His light on their wicked deeds. That's why they hate Him. That's why they hate you when you, when you talk about Christ and, their, and people's sin. They don't like that. Listen to, the, listen to these passages. The world cannot hate you. <clears throat> the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. The world doesn't hate them. But it hated Christ because he testified of their wicked deeds. Proverbs 1. Turn with me to Proverbs 1. I want you to see this passage. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24 and following. Notice what he says. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. What is this, what is this knowledge in this passage? It is the knowledge of God shining His light on their evil, on their sin. That's why they would not come to Him. And then when they get in trouble, they want to call out to Him. Isn't that, isn't that just like every people today? I remember after uh, 9-11, 2001, people, people came flooding through these doors one after another uh, during that week wanting... wanting me to pray with them. We gave the gospel to a lot of different people. Well, where were they before? Out doing their own thing? Living their own lives? A little bit of fear got struck into them, and what do they do? They want to run for the closest place that has the semblance of God. But they weren't sincere. They hated they, they hate the knowledge of what Christ says about them. Those who know Christ don't hesitate to come to Him because they're seeking to do the will of God. 
and they and live righteously. They want to live righteously. Even if they fail from time to time, they, they still want to live righteously. John wrote of this in his first epistle. Turn back with me to 1 John. Follow a couple of passages here. 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2, right near the end of your Bible. Look at verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Look down at verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You can't hate other believers Call yourself a Christian at the same time. You can't do it. You may not like some of the things that other believers do or stand for, but you can't hate them. Turn over to chapter 3. Look at verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, or that is, makes a practice of sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen or known Him. People who are unbelieving practice their sin. That's all they can do and that's all they do do. Even people who claim to be religious or sometimes claim to be Christians. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous... As he, Christ, is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice, a lifestyle practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning that way because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It's evident. Those who practice righteousness are of God and those who practice unrighteousness are of Satan. Now the unbelieving really the unbelieving world really doesn't care what God thinks about their sinfulness. They may care about what other people think about it, depending on how they were raised, how they think. Some people may not care what anybody thinks about their evil deeds, but most people who are raised in a moralistic society want to hide their evil deeds because they don't want anybody to think bad about them doing them. But they don't care what God thinks. They want to keep on living for themselves and for their sin. And so the words that we see in this passage are are very important words for both the believer and the unbeliever as well. Because they they tell what the believer is and why he does the things that he does. And they also tell why the unbeliever does the things that he does. And why one loves God and why one hates God. These are serious words from the captain of our salvation. So we live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot rely upon the flesh to accomplish the will of God. We are not of those who walk or live in darkness, but we live in light. The light of the Son of God 
This is the message of the gospel for the world. It is not a popular one, but it is an essential one if men and women and boys and girls are going to be saved. So God help us to give it in a spirit of compassion and love. You know, I see people sometimes, <clears throat> particularly these videos where people rescue animals, particularly little puppy dogs. I always watch those because I love dogs. And my heart just sometimes breaks when you see people trying to rescue a little puppy dog and it's scared and it's crying and, and they show it love and it stops and those kinds of things. That's the way we should feel about people who are in darkness. They don't, they don't know or understand the weight of the darkness that they're in. And the only thing that can bring them out of that is the gospel of Christ, which we have and own as our own. So have compassion on the lost. They stumble in the darkness and they don't know where they're going until it's too late and they end up in hell. Rescue them. Rescue them with the truth of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Lord's day and for the time we've had to come and worship. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we live our lives among lost men and women, boys and girls in this world who hate you because they live a life of evil and of sin, and that's all they know. That's all they know. That's all we knew until you rescued us, until you redeemed us by your gospel. And so I pray that in the name of Jesus, we would give them the truth of your word so that they can see themselves for what they really are before, your, before you, that they, that they might escape the judgment and find life in Christ, life eternal. Glorify yourself through this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.